We're actually going to get started in the book of Revelation, so we'll turn back there. Last week, we had a sermon on the human spirit. Remember that? For those of you that were here, I think most all of you were here. And we talked about uh, how this God-given spirit makes the human race unique and the epitome of God's creation. Uh, we're just not a physical being, but there is a spiritual aspect to us that the Bible talks about. We also talked about death being the separation of the human spirit from the body. So the Bible teaches, and we saw in the example of Jesus and the example of the, the martyr Stephen, that when they were about to die, they asked God to take their spirit, to receive their spirit. Their body was going to go to the grave, but their spirit, that innate spiritual part of us that God created, goes somewhere else. For those who die in Christ, we saw that the spirit goes to be with God, and that's what is generally known as the intermediate state. It's the, the state that we're in between death and the resurrection of the dead, as the Bible teaches, the intermediate state. So for those who die in Christ, the Spirit goes to be with God to await the second coming of Jesus when they will accompany him back to earth in order to be resurrected with a glorified body along with the rest of us who are still alive at that time, depending on when Jesus returns. So we learned about that last week. But let me ask you the question today. Since Jesus was fully God and fully man, we know that he had two natures. He was unique in that regard. And, and the theological term for that is the hypostatic union. One individual, Jesus Christ, with two natures. He was a, had a union of natures, fully God and fully man. He also had a human spirit. But where did his spirit go at death? Don't forget, when he was on the cross, just before he died, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So where did Jesus' spirit go? What does the Bible teach us about Jesus' spirit at his death? Well, the Bible talks about a place not necessarily a physical place, but kind of a realm of existence that the dead go to. In the Old Testament, uh, there was a Hebrew word that is used many times, and it is the word Sheol, S-H-E-O-L, and it means the realm of the dead. Now, in the New Testament, a similar word is used, except in Greek, and it is the word Hades, H-A-D-E-S. Now, in our culture, when somebody says Hades, we normally think of hell or a place where bad people go to suffer because they're nasty. <laughs> but uh, that's kind of a, a mistranslation of it. Hades means the same thing as shield. It means the realm of the dead. So both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, uh, it talked about a place or a, a dimension, if you will, that the spirits of the dead go to when they die. The body goes to the grave, but that human spirit that they had goes to the, the place called Sheol or Hades, the place of the dead, the realm of the dead, in other words. Now, it's a temporary place because everybody there is awaiting the resurrection from the dead. 
uh, and they, they await the resurrection and the final judgment. Now, it's not to be confused with the lake of fire, okay? That's something different. That is a permanent and final place of judgment for the unrepentant. Notice in Revelation 20, verse, verses 11 through 15. And this kind of explains the difference between the realm of the dead, the place where all the spirits go when they die, versus the lake of fire. The realm of the dead, or Hades, was temporary. You're just waiting for the resurrection and judgment. But the lake of fire is where you go after judgment, and you're unrepentant, okay? That's the final outcome for the wicked. Notice it says in Revelation 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, and that would be Jesus Christ. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So this is the time of the final judgment, in other words. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades, the realm of the dead, or the place that spirits go after they depart from the body at the time of death. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. So again, Hades is kind of a holding place for the spirits of the dead where they go and wait. They wait for the resurrection, which will happen at Jesus' second coming, and they also wait final judgment. But notice the time is coming in the future, verse 14, after the final judgment, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he, was, he or she was thrown into the lake of fire. So Hades is this temporary place that the spirit goes to at the time of death, just waiting for the resurrection and final judgment. The lake of fire is the place where the unrepentant ultimately will be cast because uh, they have decided not to believe in God, not to have anything to do with God. So destruction is their outcome. Now, throughout the Bible, the tradition was, back in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that this place of the dead, Sheol or Hades, as it's called in the New Testament, is a place with two sections. So see, when you die and your body gets buried in the grave, but your spirit goes to Sheol or Hades, the, the realm of the dead, depending on what kind of person you have been, especially if you were a person of faith, if you had faith in God, it, it uh, determined what section of Hades you would go to. It was a place of blessing and peace for the people of God. Don't forget when Jesus was on the cross, he told the thief on the cross, based on that man's faith in Jesus and recognizing Jesus as somebody who had not sinned and didn't deserve death, what did Jesus say to him ultimately? Today, you will be with me in paradise, 
which was another name for the good side of the realm of the dead, the place where the good people went. But this Sheol or Hades was, was also a place of torment for the ungodly. Let's turn to Luke chapter 16, and we'll see this kind of spelled out in uh, a story that Jesus told. Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. And it's a parable that I'm sure that you've read before. It's about Lazarus and the rich man. Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. Let's read this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar, Lazarus, died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. So this is in the realm of the dead. They're carrying his spirit to be with Abraham. The good part of the realm of the dead. So Abraham's there, the patriarchs are there, all those who died in the Old Testament, who died in faith are there waiting for the resurrection. The rich man also died and was buried in hell, in Hades, where he was in torment. So now notice, there's two rewards in this place, this temporary place for spirits to go. A man like Lazarus, who was a beggar, a very humble, lowly man, ends up in this place at Abraham's side, which is a good place to be. Because Abraham, of course, was, was a well-known patriarch of, of God's people, a man who was honored. And to be at his side, that's a place of privilege to be. Whereas the rich man, who was very selfish and had no respect for the poor, he ends up in torment. They're both in the same place, but two sections of the same place. A place of reward, a place of peace and uh, blessing for one, but a place of torment for the other. So in hell, verse 23, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham, notice, far away. They're both in the same place, but there's a division here between people. He saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. So it's not hellfire as people would generally think today. God doesn't send people to, you know, burn eternally in hell, but he's in agony. You know, he's afraid. He realizes now that he's got himself in the wrong section of the realm of the dead because of the lifestyle that he lived. He didn't care about the poor. He wasn't a generous man. He wasn't a godly man by any means. And he realizes now that this beggar that he knew, Lazarus, has it much better off than he does in this place after death. And you know how it is when you get nervous or afraid, you, your tongue gets dry and you're, you're, you've got inner torment going on. And that's what he's talking about. 
Verse 25, but Abraham replied. So here's Abraham in this place, and he's able to communicate with this uh, rich man now. There's, they're divided, but Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. So there's a separation that cannot be crossed in this place. So that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. So this kind of visualizes this place where spirits go after death, the realm of the dead. And even there, there's a separation based on what your life was. It's either a place of blessing for you or a place of torment. And of course, we want it all to be a place of blessing for us. The story goes on, he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They've got the scripture. They've got the Old Testament. They've got the law. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So kind of a sad story, but that's the outcome for this rich man because of the life that he had lived. He had not sought after God or tried to be a godly person. But the point that I'm trying to bring out here is that this Hades has two sections, a good section and a bad section. Now, as we're going to see Jesus at the time of his death, his spirit, the Bible seems to say, visited Hades. In fact, uh, I don't know how f familiar you are with what is called the Apostles' Creed. Now, our tradition, we, we don't recite it that often. I know growing up in the Catholic Church, we would recite the Apostles' Creed quite often. The Apostles' Creed, though not written by the Apostles, is the oldest creed of the Christian Church, going all the way back to about 140, 140 A.D. And in the creed, many of the early church leaders summed up their beliefs as they had opportunity to stand for their faith. And it's a simple list of the doctrines of the faith. Let me go ahead and read it to you. It's very short. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. In other words, Hades the realm of the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church or the body of Christ, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, amen. So from very early on in the Christian church, as a part of their main doctrine of beliefs 
One of the things that they believed in when Jesus died and his body was buried, he, namely his spirit, descended into this realm of the dead. When the word became flesh, as we know from elsewhere in the Bible, and dwelt among us, he came to share in our humanity, Jesus did. He became human and he experienced the full experience not only of life, but of death, and even what comes after death. Separation of the body and the spirit, as well as going to the realm of the dead. <laughs> this is why Jesus wasn't raised immediately after his burial. It wasn't until early Sunday morning. Do you ever wonder if Jesus died on a Friday, as it's called Good Friday, why didn't he come back to life right away? Why didn't he come back to life on Saturday? Why did it take till early Sunday morning for him to come back to life? Well, the early church understood that Jesus descended into the realm of the dead, and he went there for a purpose. He went there to raise all of mankind that would trust him. In other words, we're talking about the good side of the realm of the dead, the place where Lazarus was, the place where Abraham was, those who had faith, those who believed in God, all the people of faith in the Old Testament. You know, when you read through Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, it lists all of those people from the Old Testament who did this or did that in faith, it says, but they never received their reward. They died they had the separation of body and, and spirit. Their spirit went to the realm of the dead to wait. It was a temporary place of waiting. But the early church understood that Jesus descended into that realm of the dead to raise all of mankind that would trust him. Having conquered Satan on the cross, Jesus descended to Hades as a victor. Jesus wasn't just a victim of death. He was the victor over death. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17. That's why after Jesus' experience, he was able to say this. Revelation 1, verses 17 and 18. John sees Jesus here in vision. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And furthermore, he says, And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who became human as we are human, fully God and fully man, he experienced life, he experienced death, he experienced that separation at the time of death, just as we do when we die. The body went to the, the tomb, the spirit went elsewhere. And as we're going to see here, he went to the place that we all go because he wanted to fully experience everything that we experience. But he didn't go to the realm of the dead as our spirit would go there. He went as a conqueror, as the victor. He has the keys to death and Hades. He has absolute control over them. 
okay? That's why we have faith that just as Jesus rose from the dead, we will rise from the dead. When Jesus returns, he will bring our spirit with him. And we will have eternal life with him. Let's turn now to 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. Peter alludes to this, uh, Jesus' journey to the, to the realm of the dead. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. Notice what he says here. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. This prison is talking about the realm of the dead, the place that all spirits went to at death, either the good side of it or the bad side of it. Jesus went there with a purpose. He went there to preach. Now, what did he preach? Well, he also talks about preaching to everybody there. Verse 20, preaching to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So this talks about people there, the spirits of people there who go all the way back, back to the days of Noah, back to the days of Adam and Eve. That's where all the spirits of the dead had gone up to that point. Jesus went there and preached. What did he preach? Well, to those who were living in faith during their lives, who believed in God and looked forward to salvation and looked forward to a resurrection from the dead, Jesus was there to encourage them and say, the time has come. I, as the Son of God, came down to this earth, died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, and your sins are forgiven. To those who do not believe, perhaps Jesus preached a message of correction, judgment. I don't know. I wasn't there to hear it, so I don't know exactly what was said. But the Bible even alludes to the fact that in that place of the dead, on the wrong side of it, are also demons, the spirits, demonic spirits hanging out there too. And perhaps Jesus preached to them saying that your time of judgment has come. I, now having died on the cross as the Son of God, am victor over Satan. Satan is defeated, along with all the rest of you. So I'm sure that it was a powerful message that Jesus preached to all that were there. So he preached that the spirits being held there, he liberated all the spirits of the dead who had been awaiting a Savior. He plundered death of its spoils, and he plundered the devil of his captives, setting them free for everlasting life. Notice in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 7. The Apostle Paul is talking about the church and the unity of the church, and he, he quotes a, a psalm here from the Old Testament. Notice what he says, Ephesians 4 and verse 7, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he, referring to Jesus, when he ascended on high, so he's talking about 
Jesus, not only his resurrection from the dead, but ultimately his ascension back up into heaven. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train. Now, it doesn't mean the kind of train that goes choo-choo. It means that, you know, if you picture the, the Queen of England in one of their regal ceremonies, and, you know, she's walking down the aisle in her full queen adornment and usually wearing a robe with a long piece of cloth that goes behind her as she walks down the aisle. I think we've all seen images of that. That, tra that is the train of her gown or of her robe. And it pictures Jesus ascending back into heaven to some sort of grand, grand spiritual ceremony when he returns from earth, ascends back up to heaven, and is honored and is worshiped, all the angels worshiping, all of the honor being given him as not only the son of God, but the savior of the human race. And it mentions as he marches in this ceremony, he's leading captives in his train. Is it referring to those he has now freed? The people of faith who had been in the realm of the dead and when Jesus ascended back up into heaven, he took all of those spirits with him. They, in other words, received their heavenly reward. I think that that's what it's referring to. And he quotes this uh, psalm from the Old Testament. When he ascended on high, he led captives. Those who had been captive, they were in that realm of the dead, and there was nothing they could do to get out of there until the one who had the keys to the place unlocked it and let them out. And finally, their time of waiting had come to an end. And instead of being in that location, they now joined Jesus in heaven. And not only did he open the door for them and release them, now when we die today, we don't go to the realm of the dead. If we are in Christ, if we are people of faith who put our faith and trust and hope in God, we go right to where they are. So there's no more realm of the dead for us where we wait. We immediately receive our reward in heaven. And we wait there until Jesus returns and he's going to bring all of us with him to this earth where we will receive a glorified body at the resurrection and live with him for all eternity. That doesn't answer all of the questions. But it shows us why Jesus did what he did. Their time had come. For all those years, not only the times that they lived, but the centuries that they waited, that their spirit waited, their prayers were answered. And they waited there until the Savior, the Redeemer, died to pay the penalty for us. And they he became the redeemer that they longed for and looked forward to all that time. He finally came and granted them freedom. So all those who lived their lives in faith believed that one day God would rescue them from death, but they didn't know how or when it would happen. When Jesus entered the realm of the dead, he made known both who he was as, and as humanity's redeemer, how he was accomplishing their redemption opening the gates of Hades, and so conquering death. Hades ceased to be the state of the dead, 
and all who put their trust in Jesus at their partic that particular time entered heaven to be in intimate communion with God. What Jesus accomplished was not, not only applies going forward to our day and beyond, but reaches all the way back to the times of Adam and Eve to include all who have or will live and die. So I think that that's a very encouraging word to read. It's a very encouraging thing to consider. Only a Savior who willingly received the lethal consequences of our sin can truly take away the burden of them. Only one who has been there in the hell of our making can comfort us in our suffering. If Jesus didn't get all the way to the bottom of our predicament, our lost and forsaken condition, then we are left unredeemed at the root. We will be forever lonely, ever tarred with shame, never feeling known, never at peace. But because Jesus entered fully into the deadliness of our human existence, all the way to death and beyond death, then he can bring us into the eternal life of the triune God. And that's exactly what he did. So we need to just take into consideration how far Jesus was willing to go for us. Not just to live a perfect life, but to die in a way that he didn't deserve. And to go all the way to the realm of the dead, to vindicate that. And now he has authority over death. And uh, that is a source of hope and faith for each and every one of us. Many years ago, uh, a great minister, this goes all the way back to the 400s, John Chrysostom, the Archbishop, Archbishop of Constantinople, who died in the year 407 AD. Based on this message, this is what he said. Let no one fear death, for death of our Savior has set us free. He has destroyed it by enduring it. He destroyed hell, or Hades, when he descended into it. He put it into an uproar, even as it tasted of his flesh. Isaiah foretold this when he said, You, O hell, have been troubled by encountering him below. Hell was in an uproar because it was done away with. It was in an uproar, for it is destroyed. It is in an uproar, for it is annihilated. It is in an uproar, for it is now made captive. Hell took a body, Jesus, and discovered God. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took what it saw and was overcome by what it did not see. O death, where is thy sting? O hell, where is thy victory? Christ is risen, and you, O death, are annihilated. Christ is risen, and evil ones are cast down. Christ is risen, and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen, and life is liberated. Christ is risen and the tomb is emptied of its dead. For Christ, having risen from the dead, is become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So we're approaching the Easter season when we will once again celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But hopefully today the sermon helps us kind of take it a little bit deeper. Because it wasn't just a matter of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. But he 
was willing to go down into the depths of our existence and what happens after death and liberate those. And we have confidence that those who died in faith are now with him in heaven. And we know too that when the time comes for us to die, we don't have to worry about a temporary place for the dead that has been locked up to us. We now have access directly to the, the dwelling place of God himself, and that's where we will be. And by God's word, we have confidence in that reality. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the word of encouragement today. It never ceases to amaze us the depths that Jesus was willing to go on our behalf. Just when we think we have a pretty good understanding of his mercy and his determination to make things right, to reconcile us back to you, we see now that he was willing to go even beyond that and to save those, to rescue those who had been held prisoner in a temporary place where their spirits were held awaiting a savior, awaiting release, awaiting a resurrection. You came and provided exactly what they needed. And now those individuals are at peace in heaven with you. And Father, we know we have the assurance that if we are to die before the second coming of Jesus Christ, we will join them there. You have made provisions for us. And it's a wonderful thing to uh, consider. Certainly, we enjoy this life, but we know depending on how long it takes for you to return, that we may all end up there sooner or later. But at least we know that we're going to be in your presence, we're going to be at peace, and we're going to enjoy our existence there. So all of these things sometimes are just too fantastic for us to, to be able to consider. We can't wrap our minds around these things, Father, but we have a firm promise from you that it's all good. And it's all because of Jesus Christ and what he's done on our behalf. So strengthen our faith. Give us hope. Help us to look forward to this time, Father, with the assurance to know that it's all going to be good for us because of your mercy and grace. We love you, Father, and we pray this now in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.